0: Well, hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. It is your boy, Dr. Mark List. Uh, before we end today's episode, uh, we're going to head up the theprimarycarepod at gmail.com uh, to get up a, a feedback from our listeners. And you know what, guys? Um, I, I, super excited, super thankful for all the uh, emails everybody sends me. Um, been really enjoying this. Uh, sorry for the vacations recently. Um, have been out of the office. And if you hear me whispering, that's because uh, one of my children uh, is asleep about 20 feet from me in a different room. So I'm going to try and keep my volume down, uh, in this episode. Uh, but the care pod at gmail.com is where you can send me feedback, um, or topics that you want me to talk about. Um, today I actually, uh, I, personal correspondence, people email me and, uh, somebody sent me an email and said, Hey, Dr. List, how come you never talk about your family? Uh, give us more information about you. And, you know, I, I want to keep everything private. I don't, want to, I don't want to put too much out there. I stay off social media, etc. But uh, I would like to tell a story about how I met my wife for the first time. Um, interestingly enough, I met her when she was at work. Um, I was with some friends, and we were going at the zoo, um, looking at animals at the zoo. And my wife was working there. And you know what? The first time that I saw her in uniform... I was like, wow, she is a keeper. All right, let's start the podcast. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients. and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast, produced in my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast, Podgirls, pod, pod People. It is your boy, Dr. Mark List, back at you. Yeah, I know it's been a hot minute. Um, you know, like I said I, uh, in the intro, I was on vacation. Uh, I apologize, summer gets a little busy around the List household. Um, but we're at you with another episode. And today's episode came from an article that actually I looked up this week in clinic. And I was, you know, I am, I am not a smart man, um, and I'm also a pretty lazy man, and I have many people on complex diabetes regimens that, that they either come to me, they've transferred care to me on these, uh, you know, insulin regimens, um, or they've seen, you know, endocrinology at some point, or they were in the hospital at some point, got put on a complicated insulin regimen, and, you know, I, I, I really don't like managing basal insulin uh, basal insulin plus your boluses at meals and trying to, you know, when the patient comes back and their A1Cs are crazy high, okay, how much, you know, should I raise their bol- their basal insulin or their boluses? I need to look at, have them check blood sugars multiple times per day or get a uh, continuous glucose monitor, which by the way, those are amazing and, and have lots of benefits to them. Patients love them and pretty easy to get hooked up with um, and, and overall just really beneficial. But Patients hate taking multiple insulins, and so I'll have ton, I have I have lots of patients um, who are on metformin, and maybe a glipizide. Um, maybe they're on a GLP one. Maybe they're on an SGLT two, um, or, or maybe I haven't seen them, or, or they're establishing with me, uh, or they're one of my partner's patients, for example, um, coming to me, and I'm, I'm taking over for them. And I get really frustrated. And so what I've been trying to do recently is I've been trying to simplify those insulin regimens and there's nothing inherently wrong with basal bolus insulin regimens right there, there's absolutely nothing wrong and in fact it's way better than sliding scale if you use sliding scale just slap yourself in the back of the head um, and neck yourself because like sliding scale should be gone right that's that's a that's a reactive approach basal bolus is a proactive approach so it's it's good and it's recommended but i am a stupid man i am a simple man and i don't like managing those those and so i've always wondered you know is there is there any really data that shows that basal bolus insulin is so much better than you know different regimens and so this was a study actually and again i I was looking to see if that data existed uh did a quick search um and and it does actually exist um and and was actually a pretty recent study and there have been other studies too um but this one involves um some of the newer drug classes which we have focused on in, in previous episodes. So the, the article is feasibility of, of simplification from a basal bolus insulin regimen to a fixed ratio formulation of a basal insulin plus a GLP-1 or a basal insulin plus an SGLT-2. Um, it's called the Beyond a Randomized Pragmatic Trial. Um, here in just Diabetes Care Magazine 2021, June of 2021. So, I mean, gosh, last month. And what I love about this article is that it took patients that were on a basal bolus insulin regimen that had both the basal and the bolus at meals, right? So multiple uh, different types of uh, injections. So multiple insulins, multiple injections per day, checking blood sugars multiple times per day. And these had to be, um, they weren't necessarily poorly controlled, but the mean A1C out of all 300 patients plus in the study was 8.6. So, I, you know, on average, not very well controlled and so then they followed them for six months and they had one the control group they looked at that basal bolus insulin and they said okay how much can we um uh modify that let's let's titrate that up so um basically the one group they called um an intensification right so adding insulin right um number two was switching from a basal bolus to a basal so leave the basal where it's at and then add a glp1 or take, a ba- take that basal insulin and then add a SGLT2, okay? And all three groups, I think this is really important because at six months, all three groups lowered their A1C and, and pretty universal, right? Uh, the first group, the control group was by a half a point um, or a half a percent. Um, second group, the, S- the GLP1 group, half a percent or 0.6%. Um, and the SGLT2 group, at was 0.7%. And again, so this so basically switching off that mealtime insulin to a GLP-1 or to an SGLT2 was non-inferior to kind of the old gold standard of basal bolus insulin. Okay? And I think it's really important why because patients hate taking four insulin shots per day. Having to check blood sugars, et cetera, having to be consistent with meals. Insulin makes you gain weight. Insulin has risks for hypoglycemic episodes, you know, like crazy, significant side effects. And gosh, like I okay, and and right, so those are all patient, you know. Uh, poos, patient-oriented outcomes, right? So if you can lower those, it's better for the patient, right? Um, the, you've heard me tell that joke before, but uh, the AAFP magazine does poems, patient-oriented evidence that matters. I like poos, uh, patient-oriented outcomes. Um, but from a lazy and selfish standpoint, gosh, I hate managing basal bolus. I hate trying to figure out the perfect regimen um, for basal, and adjusting basal, do I adjust the basal? Do I adjust the boluses? Okay, I need to check all these blood sugars. And okay, if mornings are, you know, good, then we go to each meal and then we titrate up by meal. Oh, but then it's not consistent some days are this, some days that because the patient's diet's not, not consistent, uh, their exercise, uh, you know, isn't consistent. And so it gets really, really, really hard to manage. I'm sure, you know, you listening, you know, kind of get overwhelmed sometimes if you manage vasobolos, um, where it's, it's good, it's best for the patient or so, so it seems, but this study shows that it's completely non-inferior, right? Um, the next met metric that they did in this study was so they all started at an 8.6, right? That was the mean, right, for all three groups, and then the percent of patients that then lowered their A1C under seven and a half was similar. So in the first group, um, about 35 percent, 28 percent, 27 percent, and so um, which 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 was um, not statistically significant between the three groups. So again. You know, it's not like any of these groups had significant um, improvement in their A1C compared to the other ones, but I think the big thing is that the total insulin dose increased in the basal bolus insulin group. Break so they intensified to get better A1C numbers by an average of 62 units per day. Wow, wow! I mean, so I mean, in order to get that 0.6, that 0.6 A1C reduction in the basal bolus you had to add 62 units of insulin throughout the day on average versus you could reduce by uh, in the GLP one group, they reduced by 27 units in the SGLT two group. They reduced by 21 units and which were both statistically significant, obviously from 62, but that makes, I mean, that's a huge quality of life improvement, less injections, obviously, but then less risk for weight gain with more and more insulin with more and more, um, you know, units given per day, Reduction in, A1, in reduction in the risk of hypoglycemia, and they saw that in the study, right? So the third outcome was the proportion of patients with hypoglycemia in the basal bolus. About 18% of patients reported hypoglycemic events, versus only 8% in the GLP-1 group and only 6% in that SGLT2 group. And look, we had talked ad nauseum about SGLT2s, and like I said, you know, SGLT2s are amazing for everything except diabetes, right? That's that's the line I gave in the last month or so. And here again, you you remove the bowl you remove the bolus insulin, you added SGLT2, and guess what? You do get an A1C reduction, but only by 0.7%. But you reduced the risk of hypoglycemia by almost 12%, 13% almost. You reduced your insulin intake by 21 units per day. Uh, significant improvement, significant improvement in overall results you know in in patient-oriented outcomes poo's right versus you know the actual data looks like it's about similar at least non-inferior so this was a study that made me feel good and that right when we have that diabetic check and patients are frustrated about poking themselves all the time and giving themselves insulin and checking their blood sugars all the time by the way if they're checking all the blood sugars all the time let's look into continuous glucose monitoring because everyone loves that if their insurance covers it but at the same time like insulin's expensive. I'm not saying that SGLT2s and GLP1s aren't expensive. They're ungodly expensive. But if you can get those, as we talked about in previous episodes, if you can get them even reasonably affordable on your health plans um, or through, you know, whatever resources you have available, I mean, another major outcome that shows that, yes, maybe simpler is better. Keep it simple, stupid, right? KISS, that acronym. Um, I, I, I love to live that process. I love to reduce insulin whenever possible. Um, If cost is an issue, then yes, this is probably going to be cost prohibitive, especially if you can't get SGLT2s and GLP1s, right? You know, and with with GLP1s uh, in this group, about 12 people dropped out because of GI side effects. So about 10% of your group dropped out in the study, which again is something that you need to look out for. Only a couple, only a handful, less than 10 dropped out in the GLP1 group, or in the um, sorry, in the SGLT2 group. Um, so less dropout in the SGLT2 group compared to the GLP-1 group. And so again, you have to watch for side effects. So, you know, we're not talking about, you know, this is a miracle or anything else like that, but we talked about how great at GLP-1s are at preventing cardiac disease, talked about SGLT2s in heart failure and in kidney function. Um, and so there's all kind of benefits and you use less insulin. I think it's a win-win-win-win-win as long as financially and side effect wise patients are okay with it. Um, and I, I think, again, as somebody who wants to simplify his, his own work because he's lazy uh, and I'm, I'm not smart enough to handle that, um, I think these are, again, really good tips for me that says what I can switch these people to is not inferior, probably has better patient-oriented outcomes, and overall is probably going to be better off in the long run, again, assuming cost and side effects are tolerable. So um, hopefully that was a good episode for you on maybe um, a plan for your patients on multiple insulin doses per day, um, maybe as a way that, yes, you can convert them and not feel like you're going to be um, having any major problems um, or any issues. So again, hopefully this was helpful you your diabetes management in your clinic. Um, this has been Dr. Mark List reminding you you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thank you and uh, see you next time.